Chapter 28 of The Romance of Modern Electricity. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Romance of Modern Electricity by Charles R. Gibson. Chapter 28 Electricity's Relation to Heat. Our Fickle Sense of Heat. Early Ideas About Heat. Different origins of heat. Heat produces electricity, and electricity produces heat. A thermometer so sensitive that it will measure to the one millionth part of a degree. How it is possible to measure temperature up to thousands of degrees. A telltale instrument that reports any carelessness in furnace stoking, etc. A simple experiment shows a very close connection between heat and electricity. What our great-grandchildren will think of our, quote, up-to-date, end quote, methods. The increasing need of specialists. Some remarks about ether waves. Our sensations of heat are merely comparative. It is amusing sometimes, on going out of doors in the morning, to note the different opinions as to the prevailing temperature. One is sometimes greeted with the remark that it is a cold morning, while within a short distance, someone else remarks that it is a mild morning. People compare the temperature with the condition of their own bodies, and if one person steps out of the cold air into a warm room, he may say the latter is much overheated, while the occupant finds it just comfortable. This is very forcefully demonstrated by the simple experiment of taking three basins of water, having the center one filled with tepid water, and one of the others with very hot water, while the third has very cold water. Keeping the one hand in the hot water and the other hand in the cold water till they become accustomed to their respective temperatures, then plunging both hands into the tepid water, the hand from the hot water complains of the coldness of the tepid water, while the hand from the cold basin feels the same water warm. A youngster would consider his bath quite warm enough, and possibly too warm, at 100 degrees Fahrenheit, while a complaint would be made that his porridge or tea at the same temperature was too cold. It is clear, therefore, that we cannot depend upon our own sensations. We must pay attention to the effects and origin of heat in other things. Electricity has proved a most useful assistant in the investigation of high temperatures, as will be shown at the close of this chapter, but this is not the main relationship indicated in the title used for the present chapter. The early scientists believed heat to be some subtle material substance which could be expelled from one body and taken up by another, but we now know that heat, as reaching us from the sun, is merely an ether disturbance, which, falling upon the material things of this globe, including our atmosphere, sets the molecules into rapid vibratory motion, and that this vibratory movement may be increased to a point at which the molecules can no longer hold together, so that a solid, by the application of heat, becomes a liquid, and in turn a liquid becomes gaseous. We also use the word heat to signify this molecular vibration in a body. Traveling in an opposite direction, we find that a compound gas, such as air, or a simple gas, such as hydrogen or oxygen, will, 
when the vibratory motion called heat is reduced, become liquid, and when a sufficiently low temperature is produced, liquid air may even become frozen or solid. And if it were possible to reach a point of absolute zero, at which there would be no vibratory motion, the molecules would doubtless fall to pieces. Following this line of thought, one is tempted to wonder whether, if it were possible to rob the atoms of all internal motion, they would not cease to be matter and become part of the great ether ocean. We have a mechanical origin of heat, as is forcibly exhibited when a steam hammer, by repeated blows, raises a piece of iron to a red heat. There is also a chemical origin of heat, as daily demonstrated in our fireplaces, by the chemical changes we call combustion. But what concerns us most in this chapter is that there is an electrical origin of heat, as is exhibited in an electric lamp, or indeed in any conductor carrying an electric current. In addition to these, there is a radiative origin, as already indicated by reference to the sun sending out ether waves, which produce molecular movement in matter. We have seen in a former chapter that while electricity may produce magnetism, the converse is also true, for magnetism produces electricity. In the dynamo, we found mechanical motion producing electricity, while in the motor, we saw electricity transformed to mechanical motion. In a similar way, while electricity produces heat, it is likewise true that heat produces electricity. In the 20s of last century, Professor Seebeck of Berlin was experimenting with simple couples of metals and thereby studying the Volta contact theory, referred to in Chapter 3, when he observed that if the point of contact of any two metals was heated, a constant current of electricity was set up in the connecting wire. This was easily demonstrated by placing a pivoted magnetic needle to act as a detector of current upon a block of the metal bismuth and forming an arch of copper over the needle, the copper being joined to the bismuth at the two ends of the block. When a lamp was placed at one of the junctions of the metals, the magnetic needle turned outwards, indicating a current of electricity flowing in the neighboring metals, just as the needle telegraph replies to the current in its surrounding coil. In this way, it was found that if any two dissimilar metals were joined together, and the junction heated, there would be a flow of electricity in a wire joining the two extremities of the metals together, provided these were kept at a lower temperature than the junction. Electricity produced by such means is termed thermoelectricity, the name merely indicating its source. People set about making batteries, or, quote, piles, end quote, of these couples, but the electromotive force of such a thermocouple was found to be very small when compared with that of an ordinary voltaic cell. Bismuth and antimony are the metals usually employed for experimental thermocouples, but these are of chief interest to the scientist. One practical application of the thermocouple is in obtaining very exact measurements of differences of temperature, one invention being capable of detecting a difference of less than one millionth part of a degree. Of course, 
an instrument of such delicacy is not required in everyday life, but it is useful in a scientific laboratory. It is very important, however, in the industrial world that we should have means of reading very high temperatures, such as the heat of a blast furnace or a pottery kiln, and for such purposes a thermocouple comes in as a very useful servant. If a thermocouple, protected in a fireproof porcelain tube, be inserted in the source of heat, the temperature of which is desired to be known, there will be a current of electricity passing out along the connecting wires, and this current will be in proportion to the amount of heat producing it. So all we now require is a delicate galvanometer, which is a magnet capable of turning in a surrounding coil of wire to indicate the presence and the amount of the current. The more the current that passes, the farther will the magnet be turned round, so that a scale may be marked off representing heat degrees, and so arranged that the magnet will point out the temperature corresponding to the current set up by that particular degree of heat. Such instruments are generally called pyrometers, and are capable of reading temperatures as high as 3000 degrees Fahrenheit. They may be made to read any temperature, provided the thermocouple is able to withstand the heat. Pyrometers may be made to record the variations of these high temperatures, and one can imagine these little telltale recorders locked up all night in the darkness of the manager's private office, but truthfully informing him in the morning of any carelessness or irregularity on the part of those whose duty it is to keep the furnaces, etc., at a constant temperature. The electromagnetic effect of the coil upon the magnet is so very small that much skill is required in the making of these instruments, and I have seen a difficulty arise from such a small cause as a trace of iron being in the brass of a very small screw, which being carried by the indicator affected its behavior towards the thermocurrent. A well-made pyrometer is quite reliable, and this is a use of thermoelectricity, which no doubt, will be valued more as our industries advance along more scientific lines. Although thermobatteries have been used in France for working telegraphs, and even for lighting glow lamps on a small scale, their present use is as a sensitive measurer of very slight differences of temperature, and as an indicator of extreme heat or cold. It would be folly to think that scientists have already got to the, quote, end of things, end quote, as regards the most economical method of obtaining electric currents. Ultimately, man may find a means of dispensing with the clumsy method of converting heat into mechanical energy by means of the steam engine, which is done at an enormous loss, for it is a remarkable fact that the very best steam engines of our times can only give us about 12% of the energy in coal. Our great-grandchildren will doubtless consider our, quote, up-to-date, end quote, methods very crude, for with the steady advance of scientific knowledge, there is bound to be an equivalent advance in the industrial world. The short time we are upon this earth does not give us opportunity to explore thoroughly more than a few of the main paths of knowledge, or possibly only a single main road and some of its side lanes or ramifications, 
so that as the accumulation of knowledge goes on at a quickly increasing rate, the need of specialists will become even much more marked than is the case at present. In closing this chapter, it may be remarked that although heat waves in the ether were, until quite recently, believed to be entirely different in character from light waves and actinic or chemical waves, the distinction is fast disappearing, and the tendency is to consider all these ether waves as light waves, whether affecting the vision or not, and it is in this connection that a new word is required to save confusion with the word light as used to denote a sensation. It is now becoming more common to speak of heat as the phenomenon exhibited in matter and to call the heat waves in the ether, quote, radiant energy, end quote. All ether waves are set up by the vibratory movement of molecules and atoms of matter. As already indicated, the molecular energy in the sun disturbs the all-pervading ether, which again sets up molecular motion in matter, and so on. The connecting link between matter and the ether will be explained when we come to consider what we know about electricity. End of chapter 28